Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we'll get Dr. Chris Bergwald for the whole time, but he has a partner in crime today for the interview. Uh, Father Andrew Dickinson is going to join Chris to talk about um, obedience and conscience. How do we define them? How do you form a good conscience? And how do the two work together? Because they do work together to at least some degree, for sure. It's a really interesting uh, interview and very, very relevant for our time. So hope you'll stick around for that. First, we have Dr. Chris Bergwald. He's still here. I'm still, I'm looking forward to watching the interview and see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see how he works. I mean, they had to share a mic because we were having some mic problems. <clears throat> right. They had to share a mic. And I think it all came out just fine, but it, it looks a little funky because they did not move it back and forth. So they that's didn't. good. Right, right, right. They didn't share, share. No share, share. So uh, Biblical Bites with Dr. B. Let me get that in there. Thank you. Because I know how you I hate when I miss go. it. Oh, yeah, right. This time, <laughs> today been fine. Oh, uh, what's today, Renee? Oh, you didn't ask me last week. Sixth Sunday? Yep. What's next week then? It is the first Sunday of Lent. Well done. Trying to, to bait you there, but you didn't take that at all. So uh, just a quick side note, I would encourage listeners, viewers to, um, if you haven't already, start thinking about discerning, praying about what the Lord's asking you to do for Lent this year. Because Lent's yeah. coming. Yeah, I like days. how you say what he's asking you to do. Yeah, not necessarily decide. give up. Not necessarily. So what is he asking you to do? Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so... But today, we're not Lent yet, Sixth Sunday, Ordinary Time, Year B, Mark's Gospel. Uh, the first gospel, the, fair, the first reading is from Leviticus, and it's all about um, what to do with leprosy. You know, lepers are unclean. Now, that is something very, very crucial in our time. Maybe Elise can put up a picture. No, we don't want to. <laughs> uh, the gospel, though, this is the gospel. It's, this is from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. I'm just going to read the beginning. A leper came to Jesus and kneeling down, begged him and said, if you wish, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I do will it, be made clean. The leprosy left him immediately and he was made clean. Then warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. He said, see that you tell no one anything, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing. What Moses prescribed, that will be proof for them. And the guy goes and starts blabbing. Of course, everybody, everybody uh, does. does. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, if you read Leviticus, though, the first reading, you'll see, like, if you get leprosy, you're, you are, you're cast out right. of the community. Be, understandably so. I mean, medicine at the time, they had no way. And, and here it seems to be not only just leprosy, uh, the, the formal Hansen's disease or whatever mm-hmm, it technically mm-hmm. is, but other sorts of skin diseases, because they were so contagious right. that if you were remained in the community, um, it could easily spread right. throughout the community. Wreak havoc. So yeah. you and and you had to stay. And as, as the first reading says, um, they have to go around. Basically, if everybody comes clear, unclean, unclean. Like mm-hmm. like stay away, stay right. away. I'm unclean physically, but also ritually. Okay, right, right. So this is where um, some commentaries make a really interest, a couple of really interesting points about the reading of this, the beginning of this reading. A leper, first of all, came to Jesus. So this man with leprosy approaches Jesus. They're supposed to stay away. Mm-hmm. And, and if you come close to him, I'm unclean, I'm clean, get, get away. Like, mm-hmm. you don't want what I got. This leper comes to Jesus and kneels down and does not say, if we, if you wish, you can heal me. He says, if you wish. Do you know what he says? I already forgot. I know you did. <laughs> okay. 
if you wish, you can make me clean. Oh, yeah. This man, uh, for who knows how long he's had leprosy, has not been able to worship in the temple. He's not been able to participate. He's an outcast from the community, and he cannot participate in the fullness of the Jewish religion mm-hmm. by entering into the temple in Jerusalem or mm-hmm. any synagogue or anything. Right. Didn't they have like a place around it that they could come or no? No. You I thought I heard that away. once, but okay. Uh, okay. Not that I know of it. Okay. Um, so his his desire is, of course, he, in, in order for him to be able to be made clean, he kind of has to be healed. But he doesn't ask for healing. He has to be made, made clean. clean so that he can worship again. So he approaches Jesus. Then Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him. So Jesus could have, as we know, just healed this guy. But Jesus, in an act of showing, no, nothing can render me impure or damage me. I will heal. I think we all could ask to be made. Amen. Thanks, Doctor. You bet. In the studio with me today, I have two illustrious men from the diocese. <laughs> Who many of you may know as co-hosts from a show that is still running. Ignition. Long, long ago. Yes. Syndication. In, right? Syndication, yes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Oh, boy. Um, I have Dr. Chris Bergwald and Father Andrew Dickinson in the studio with me today. Um, Father, <laughs> this, this is going to be really hard because when Father I, Doctor. I'm, Father Doctor. I've almost called you Pope a couple times, yeah. so that's really bad. Or Bishop. Um, Chris. Yes. There we go. Uh what is your title at the I'm diocese? I'm the Director of Discipleship Formation for the Diocese. Okay, good. And Father Dickinson, you are pastor at several parishes, but pastor at what number right now? A pastor at 17. Okay. And that includes St. Catherine Drexel. St. Catherine Drexel here yes. in Sioux Falls, uh, St. Nicholas in T, St. Magdalene in Lennox, and St. Christina in Parker. Right. So that's a, you got a big, you got a big job over there. Well, you know what? All the pastors have a big job. That's true. <laughs> yeah. How's it going? Well, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, you know, getting, uh, getting your hand, hands and arms around things and around the situation. Yeah, and getting to know the people too. Because I, I moved yep. uh, this summer with this, and so that's a lot of it is getting to know uh, the people and their their gifts and what they have to bring. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been nice having you back in Sioux Falls. Thank so, you. Um, so today I wanted these two guys to come in so we can talk about two things. And how they sometimes work together and how we're supposed to actually do them, which is obedience and conscience. Two words that sometimes strike fear into people, especially <laughs> obedience <What>? one, <laughs> honestly. Um, and conscience is just greatly misunderstood a lot of the time. So what I want to start with, Dr. Bergwald, if you would, um, let's define our terms. What do we mean by obedience and what do we mean by conscience? So, uh Father Dickinson and I have, uh, from from the, our days long past on a mission, uh, a running joke. And it is a joke, just to be clear, Father Dickinson. It is a joke. It is. Sorry, uh, it's a joke. I'm terrified. <laughs> no, um, he's the Bible guy, and I'm the catechism or, or the- okay. theological text guy. In truth, we both love all of the above. Right. But we do. So, so look into the catechism, as okay. Dr. Bergwald is on to So there's a section of the catechism where it talks about our participation in social life. And this is where uh, the, the church teaches about proper authority mm-hmm. and our responsibility to obey proper authority when it is, when it's doing its job. Right. Um, so there's, there's a key, a couple of key paragraphs 
but, but the, the simple idea is to obey means to do what proper authority tells us to do when it tells us to do something that is just and in keeping with the common good. Okay, what is proper authority? Yeah, so that is the um, so there, we have proper authority in the church in the world. So in the world, um, when I was young, um, a minor, my proper authority was first and foremost uh, at the human level, my parents. Right. But then also uh, the in whatever governing system one has. So in our country, our elected representatives mm-hmm. are in authority over us. Okay. So I'm called to obey when I'm a child. I should obey my parents. Um, I should obey my duly elected representatives mm-hmm. as well, as long as they're not asking me to do something that is evil or unjust. Right. In the church, my proper authority um, are my pastor, um, my bishop, and then the pope as the one who has earthly universal authority in the church. Okay. Um, and what about conscience? So conscience, um, so this is where there's a lot of, <laughs> and I mentioned, I shared with both of you, some notes from a talk I gave with our clergy a number of years, so 2017, mm-hmm. realized, seven years ago, um, because Bishop Swain at the time wanted just a little refresher for the clergy on what conscience is, because there's a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. About, like a lot of people think of conscience as your gut. Like, what's the right thing to do? What, what does your gut tell you? Uh, that's not how the church, that's not the true understanding, the proper understanding of conscience. Conscience um, is about an act of the intellect. Okay. In light of moral principles. So when I'm acting, when I'm uh, when things are working well, I know what the moral principles are, how they apply in a given situation, and therefore what the proper thing to do is or was. So my conscience tells me those things. It sort of sees the principles and how to apply them in a given situation. Okay. It's, a, it's, an, it's an intellectual act. Is the, right. The not, it's not about not, feelings. Not an intuition. Right. It's not a gut thing. So this is the Catechism, 1778. Conscience is a judgment of reason whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he is going to perform, is in the process of performing, or is already completed. So a judgment of reason where we recognize the moral quality of an action. Okay. So we have them defined. So I want to talk about first obedience a little bit, and then conscience a little bit, and then kind of the two together. Uh, we'll see how we'll see if we can get this done in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fat chance, right. Um, so... Why does obedience matter? Like, why is it important that we actually are obedient to an authority? I think obedience matters in the earthly sense, especially like when we're young, Mm -hmm. is because it trains us to uh, identify and respond to the word of God in our life. Okay. And so there is a formative aspect to that obedience. And that's also then why it's incumbent on those who exercise that obedience, parents, teachers, uh, civil authorities, to weigh carefully what it is they're exercising when they exercise that authority mm-hmm. because a lot is at stake. Right. And so, uh, so far when we were young, uh, you know, learning to obey our parents in that way prepared us for the ways that we've then learned to identify and obey God in our daily life. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of the importance of obedience. So the, the primary, I think, importance of earthly obedience is that eternal obedience. Right. You know, um, I, I started to say to um, with the kids in the school and CCD, you know, um, I know like in some way, especially when they're wanting to go out on their own, they're preteen, they're teen, <laughs> right? And I yep. want to go out my own way. It's like, you know, do you remember that there'll always be three people you'll have to obey for your whole life? Yeah. And they're like, who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and they're like, 
Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. So, like, this is preparing you for that. Yeah. So, so I imagine a lot of those teenagers, especially, but we as in general as human beings, we're like, well, is it really that big of a deal if I just go my own way? Five minutes uh, over, the, five uh, miles over the speed limit. Right, right. Oh, gosh, you had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's got Renee Kranz written all over it. And Father Andrew um, Dickinson. And- <laughs> so, I mean, is it really a big deal if we go our own way? Um, how does it really hurt anybody but ourselves? You know, how does that, ob- that well, veering from obedience, does it, does it hurt others or just us? Uh, totally hurts others. Okay. There is no, like, private right. sin in that way. Right. Because from the spiritual point of view, we are incorporated in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm a dead cell in the body of Christ, I have an effect on others mm-hmm. in that way. Whether they need to compensate for my death or uh, having to avoid the spread of my uh, disease. Again, uh, using an analogy there. Right. But also even just in a civic body, right? Uh, we realize this, uh, think about now how the city of Sioux Falls uh, and a lot of the bigger cities in our diocese, how few children walk or ride their bike to school. Oh, right. Yeah. Right? Totally. Because there's been a loss of corporate bodily trust in the the, the civic body mm-hmm. of uh, our ability that I trust that my neighbor is going to be following or obeying the rules. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid they're going to go their own way in a way that would hurt my children. <laughs> right, right. That's a really good point. Okay, so is it necessary to exercise the two together, obedience and conscience? Because to me, it seems like uh, well, there's a there's a term called blind obedience. To me, these these two have to like work together. So can you one of you kind of talk about how they work together? Why? I'm really struck by your use of the phrase blind Blind obedience. obedience. I think that's a a great line to illustrate why they do actually have to work together. Yeah. Because I think, and you can maybe speak on this more, but the idea of that proper obedience helps to form your conscience. Mm -hmm. And then part of the duty of authority, those who have authority, to help those under them to form their conscience through what you ask them to do in obedience. Okay. That's a, yeah, that, that's a, that's, uh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'll just say yes for the next 12 minutes. Um, so, because this is also part of the misunderstanding of conscience. Yes. Mm. Like, the, the, the way that our conscience would have us think is, I've been given somehow just a pristine conscience. And therefore, right. if I just follow my conscience, then then I'll be good. No, my conscience, because it's an act of the intellect, is flawed. Yeah. It's it's weakened because of original sin. And therefore, I need, to Father's point, authority to help me form my conscience. So the example that we've been, I need authority, to, uh, civil authority to establish laws that are for the sake of the common good of the community. Uh, and in the church, I need the authority of the church to tell me the truth with clarity about those moral principles right. and even help me to apply those principles in given situations. Right. It's not this idea that so because because we, we are called to follow our conscience, right. we're called to follow our conscience, but we're also called to form our conscience. Well, well, how do I form my own conscience? Yeah. I need to follow church authority, yeah. which helps inform me as to what the truth is. Right. So I think one of the things that I've seen a lot, and I'm sure everyone sees this, you'll be maybe on social media, you see a conversation pop up. I'm going to use a controversial topic of abortion. Say that pops up and you'll have, um, maybe it's on a Catholic social media thing. And you'll have Catholics who are taking both sides and they'll both say they're following their conscience, but you can't 
they could, something has to be wrong there. It can't both, you can't both have the right, you're supposed to follow your conscience, but if you're following two different things, that something's wrong. So I think what's going on there in our climate today as mm-hmm. Americans is that we have a libertine attitude, yeah. which is really elevates uh, the individual person. Yes. Right. What we can't stand in a sense is an, uh, an encumbered individual. Mm-hmm. Right. And so each person has to be free to decide for themselves yep. right. the meaning of everything. And we've begun to equate that with conscience. Yes. And that isn't what conscience is. Okay. And that isn't what freedom is. Right. 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 It's, it's liberty. It's a liberality. Uh, it's really a juvenile notion. Yep. Right. When I was yep. 17, I wanted to do what I want, <laughs> when I want, and the way I want. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, and that's freedom rather is the ability to the capacity to identify what's good, beautiful, and true, and then choose what's good, beautiful, and true. Right. And so this liberality and, and, and good and well-formed conscience is a part, is a necessary part of true freedom. Okay. To true interior freedom to be able to identify and to choose what's good, beautiful, and true. Right. Um, it formed, conscience helps to form our capacity to identify the good, the beautiful, and the true. But in our culture, I think the, the roadblock or the collision that's happening is the equation you make between uh, conscience and that kind of American libertine spirit. Right, right. This and individualized. It, it's yeah. not, unfortunately, it's, it's not just an American problem. Um, 1991, Cardinal Ratzinger, mm-hmm. Uh, was giving an address actually to U.S. bishops on the topic of conscience and truth. And he related a conversation back from like the 60s mm-hmm. that he and some other uh, priest professors of theology were having. And one of them was basically arguing the, the American libertine perspective, mm-hmm. um, but in the German context, where the important thing is just as long as your conscience is clear, um, then the Lord will bless you. And right. Whatever. And and one of the other uh, priest professors said to that, uh, so Ratzinger is sort of watching the conversation, said, well, if that's the case, then the Nazi war criminals are going to be welcomed to heaven. And the other, well, yes, absolutely, they will, because their conscience is clear. And and Pope Benedict pointed out that that's not what Scripture says. Right. Ludicrous. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. Like so many times, you know, it's like uh, the example of the 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 public, the, the sinner and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, the, the publican is in the back of the temple, the synagogue, beating his breast, mm-hmm. forgive me, have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee is there, thank you, Lord, for all the gifts that you give me and that I'm not like this poor slob in the back. <laughs> his conscience is clear, right? but it's it's, it's malformed. Wildly, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not poorly formed. And he will be judged for the poor formation of his conscience. Right, right. Okay. So then I think we have to say, how do you form your conscience? And how do you know you formed it properly? Because a lot of people will be like, well, I have a well-formed conscience, but I feel like if the conscience you think is well-formed is directly opposed to church teaching, it's probably not well-formed. Uh, yeah, well, I think that's very safe to say. <laughs> that is, but a lot of people yes. might argue that. Right. You know, say, well, but that's my conscience. And if, because there's been this misconception that if your con, you have to follow your conscience and whatever it is, so how do you form okay, your I, conscience? I, I, I will mildly, I mean, if I can do this with the host. I'm Go all, ahead. I'm all, I'm all, yes, I don't think most please. people who just follow their conscience would say I've got a well-formed conscience. Like The well-formed piece, okay. in my experience, is the key. That's the missing piece. Maybe they don't even know they're this. supposed to have exactly. a well-formed. Okay. That, that's, okay. that's what I'm so saying. So I miss, miss so, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so 
I write them all out. How do we form it? (laughs) Once a year. (laughs) 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 Sadly, it's already February. (laughs) Right. Uh, So how do we form our conscience? By obeying proper authority. In this case, the authority of the church who has been empowered by God himself with teaching us those moral principles that we were talking about earlier. What if we vehemently disagree with it, though? Can I make a nuance? Is it the church herself? Or is it the revelation that the church has received? Well, I, I think that was. Impl- I think you. Uh, never mind. I was going to make a joke. That was, <laughs> yes, Father. Okay. Yes. yes. I, but I think that's an important distinction. Well, and that's why I said the, the church formed by what God has revealed. Okay. Okay. Yes. Sure. 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 We can't rewind the tape to see what it actually said. Sadly. <laughs> Throw the red flag. The challenge um, flag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it's divine revelation as guarded and interpreted and and proclaimed to us. By the magistrate. Okay. So, I guess my point now is that even those who carry office in the church, so I have yeah. an office mm-hmm. in the church as a pastor, right, uh, and as a vicar general for the bishop, with set ablaze. And so, I have a duty as well to form myself to uh, the revelation that the church guards, right. So I have to, con- I have a duty to conform myself to that. And I'll be judged by that, right, right, about how I've done that because. That is supposed to then import those who look to me under obedience as my parishioners and who look look to that authority for guidance. You know, I have to be exercised that well or I'll be judged by. Right, right. Okay. So we're we're all, I want to underline something, Father said there. We're all called to form our conscience as well, no matter what your position of authority or lack thereof in church or in society. So can we, can we, can we come out with a well formed conscience by just going to Mass? On Sunday, no. Okay, no. So, no. That's why I ask, what else do we have to do? Because I think a lot of people are like, "Well, how do I, how do I form my conscience well?" Confession, the practice of confession. Ah, yes. Right. Yeah. And so, in fact, like in the old Baltimore Catechism, there's a line in there talking about learning to distinguish between venial and mortal sin. Mm-hmm. And like, why isn't there just a list of mortal yes, sins? Yes, everybody right? just, just wants a part that of forming our conscience, <laughs> but. Um, it says in there that really like you form this in conversation with your trusted confessor mm-hmm. in that way, that that's part of the experience of that formation of your conscience. Okay. Is it also about actually studying what the church teaches? So th- there is, uh, well, I would say yes, but okay. I mean, it's about, remember it's about the, just the basic moral principles. So right. it's not like. It's not like you have to. You we know, don't have to go, be Doctor Bergwald. You have to go get a, a doctorate right. in theology right. to understand. Like it's it's basic moral principles. God has to some degree revealed these truths to us, but we have to make sure that we're grasping it. So the, the Catechism talks about the formation of conscience and to choose in accord with the conscience. Uh, paragraph 18, 1783 and following. But uh, what I want to underline is seventeen eighty nine. Some rules apply in every case about choosing to uh, in accord with conscience. You may never do evil so that good may result from it. Right. So, so it means just find the ends. No. Right. You may never do evil so that good may result difficult. from it. Sometimes difficult. The goal, right. <laughs> right. The golden rule: whatever you wish that men would do to you, do to them. And charity always pre- proceeds by way of respect for one's neighbor and for his conscience. Uh, so those are just some little things. But for the formation of conscience, they talk about how it's a lifelong task. So it's not like you're just going to do this. Like oh, I'm going to read a book and my conscience has been formed. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note when we talk about the duty of formation of conscience, it's not that we start out in a completely depraved state. Yep. That's your right. Point. Right. Rejecting the uh, reformed uh, Calvinist notion of the total depravity right. of man. And so there's there's things we can't not know. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's a phrase uh, from a philosopher, uh, Jay Budzinski. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Of uh, I think it made a book title on that, but it about is. the natural moral law. Okay. Like you don't have to be taught that stealing is right. wrong. Right. The first time when you're a little kid and your older brother takes your toy, you, you're livid. <laughs> right. You know it's wrong. Right. And so um, you almost have to go through a mental gymnastics to convince yourself that things that you know are wrong are actually really right. Right, right, totally. Okay, so I want to just real quick, just try to make a link between these two in a really um, normal life thing. Let's say your parents, I don't know when this would happen, but if you have really bad parents, I suppose it could. Your parents tell you to do something that is clearly Your parents immoral. are thieves, and they're trying to, yes. they, they're enlisting you. And you're and, small, and you can get into little cracks, yes. and they're enlisting you. No, can, we, can we go less Oliver Twist in this? Sure. Perfect. If you have okay. one, go for it. So um, you, you know you're struggling in a class at school, and you tell your parents about it, and they tell you a way to cheat on the test, so you get the grade. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yes. So do you, are you obedient? They tell you, you used AI to write your paper. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, that was evil. <laughs> 19, 1903 in the catechism, Renee. 1903. Okay. okay. Authority is exercised legitimately only when it seeks the common good of the group concerned and if it, and if it employs morally licit means to attain it. If rulers to enact unjust laws or take measures contrary to the moral order, such arrangements would not be binding in Ah. In such a case, authority breaks down completely and results in shameful abuse. Wow. So you, you really don't even have to use your conscience. It's just right there. If, if they're not following morality or the common good. Yeah. But, but you do have to use your conscience yes. to make that judgment. Yes, right. That's true. And I think that the difficult thing is for a child or a young person that way, their conscience isn't formed. Right. It's, it's, it's very still, very still. It's very much still in its infancy. Yeah. And so for them to know yeah. and to be able to stand against. And so that's why like the evil of an authority deliberately misexercised is, is it one of the sins that crowd to heaven? Uh, that's a good question. Okay. But, but it's, it's, it's the greater sin. It, it, it certainly is a grave sin yeah. in that way. Well, millstones. There's yes. millstones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That Cosmo makes sense. Least a sin. Yeah. Better for you to have a millstone tied around yep. your neck and be flung into the deep. Yep. Because while there, there may be sin, maybe, on the part of the young person, the greater sin is with the... But is there not? Well, I would say, I mean, there might be the object, the object action is sinful, but I don't think there's subjective Back sin, to. depending on the age right. and their ability to right. know and resist. So, yeah. like, if a child were to confess that, you know, um, well, I didn't go to Mass, and I didn't go to Mass, and my parents didn't take me, and, you know, I can't drive. Right. Well... It's not really a sin on their part. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it was missing, but they didn't choose to. And, yeah. Right. And they're, they're being... And, and it's not just that the incident happened, but that incident is formative for the child yeah. of what they should expect in life, and that weighs on the parent. Yeah, that's where the real damage is done. Yeah. Really, really. Okay. It's a, we're already out of time, which I kind of figured would happen. Um, thank you very much, you guys, for you being here and talking about this. It might be something we have to take up again uh, as we go, because it's really actually important. It's always important, but it seems to be especially important in our day. So thanks a lot. You bet. Pleasure. If you haven't found us on social media already, you can always find us at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at SF Diocese and always online at sfcatholic.org. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.